0: With Dr. Renelle Langley, on this episode of the Clinical Consult, we're discussing transitioning clinical services from in-pace or face-to-face to virtual electronically mediated fam- formats, commonly called telepsychology. Dr. Langley is the founder of the Cedar Valley Center for Resiliency and Well-Being in Cedar Falls, Iowa and is a licensed psychologist and executive coach in that state who founded Executive Coaching International. In addition to her clinical work ranging with children to adults, Dr. Langley has provided coaching services to Fortune 500 companies across the globe and has taught at the University of Northern Iowa College of Business Administration. Renell welcome. Uh, l- let's dive right in, shall we? Yes,
1: yeah, sounds good, Danielle. Thank you for having me on the program.
0: Listeners can tell, Renell that you have an interesting and unique background as a licensed psychologist and as an executive coach. So throughout our conversation, I hope you'll share more about your career and the steps you've taken to arrive to the place that you are in today. But let's start with a common situation that I know many psychologists today are navigating, which is that transition from providing in-person to electronically mediated or telepsychological service. Tell us a little about what that transition was like for you.
1: Yes, I, I must say that was, that was a long transition for me, because I have uh, since telepsychological services be- became people talking about that, and that was uh, at least uh, the last 10 years and more, uh, I've been interested in that, but at that point, I was also on the State Board of Psychology, and you know, we would get questions and things, and I could gather from my colleagues on the board that we were not ready for that yet. I was clearly under the impression that they were waiting on API to provide some guidelines. So what I did in the meantime, I did my homework. I, I have a friend who is, is a member of the American Telemedicine Association, and she invited me to join her at one of the conferences in um, Tampa, um, Florida in 2011. And to me, that was an eye opener, seeing that, that there's already a lot going on and that there are fields in medicine who are taking that step already. And uh, so I was taking note and, and learning as much as I could. And as time went on, there was also more laws coming in terms of possibility of providing services for underserved rural areas. And I also, are, even though I was very under the impression of a needed infrastructure on so many levels, like legal, ethical, the technology, so many systems that need to all come together. And then in 2013, the APA guidelines for jealous psychology practice came out. And then two years ago, I was approached by a medical group on the East Coast who actually are pioneers in the field of telemedicine. And they uh, connected with me and asked if I would like to join their team. And their telehealth knowledge and integrity was really impressive to me. And uh, I decided to join. And if I would say what is the most challenging and difficult about this transition, I was so much under the impression of the load of administrative and technology requirements. I think I was less uh, concerned about the technology part, but the administrative part. And in in both of the practices that I will refer to, we have a whole team taking care of that. So that is really taking off a load for me on that respect so and and to be part of an established team who has already laid the foundation with with those things that I see as a challenge is it's great, but there's also a lot of meaningful and positive parts to this as well because i if I can refer to a few there that we can now serve underserved uh, rural areas, and because they are underserved, they are also very appreciative of the services we provide working in skilled nursing facilities with, with half of the work that I'm doing, working with seniors, but also with special needs, like people with traumatic brain injuries or uh, where We need to meet with people where they are. And I, I feel with, when I meet with people, I learn something from every person that, that I see And I find the the staff at these senior uh, skilled nursing facilities also very helpful to work with. And when when this experience was very helpful in our local psychiatry clinic, where I'm also involved, uh, that we had to transition to telehealth as a result of COVID-19 on very short notice. So within a week, actually, I was able to move all my people that I'm seeing locally uh, to move them to telehealth. And as we go on with, with this pandemic, we also know there's an increased need for mental health care. So I'm actually at the moment, even more busy than ever before. But for me to connect with, with a young teenager sitting on, on her bed in her, home, in her room at their home with her cat while she's connecting we, I'm used to see her in my office. I think that's awesome. That, that gives a very new dimension. I feel so welcomed into her world and to connect with her from there.
0: You've mentioned some key challenges, but also some really positive and meaningful aspects of the transition as you navigate it. One of the challenging parts, and this is my perception, a lot of psychologists don't receive very much training in their, in their graduate education or their subsequent supervised experiences to kind of break down some of these basics of starting your own practice and seeing clients independently, let alone you know, shifting the nature of that, that service to an electronic platform. I mean, that thought leads me then to a question now, which is a kind of a broad one. Where does one even start in making that change?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think you're right, Daniel. There's probably not a lot of formal training in, in how to navigate this transition. Although after we talked last time, I was thinking that I forgot, but actually my PhD thesis was about uh, technology in, in psychology. So I think I always had that interest in, in that as well, uh, but did not get much in, in, in terms of formal training. Um, but I think my whole attitude towards technology is it's, it's, it is something to apply Uh, And I had several opportunities for online connection with the different roles that I'm taking, like with some of the MBA classes, I've been teaching them online. Also, if I work, say for instance, with a group of global investors of of Fortune 500 company that, that, that they would be meeting online with me with executive coaching. And then also for the past five years, working the work that we're doing with MIT, uh, we, we are a global team that are meeting on a regular basis as well. So, that's all of that would be um, online. So, the switch to working online to me was fairly natural. And then I learned as much as I could from the American Telemedicine Association uh, with meetings I attended. They were also. Continuing education opportunities, and I think especially lately that it's great to see that the National Register for Health Service Psychologists are putting in a lot of emphasis and opportunities for continuing education on, on telepsychology. And then I know there's a there's a long list of things that need to come together. You know, if you talk about EPA compliance, uh, business association agreements using the right technology, professional liability insurance, the guidelines that you need to abide to with the APA, and then also working within the scope of your license in, in, in the states that you are serving. So I seriously considered all of that when I entered the practice with other physicians and again when I switched also from in-person to telepsychology at our local practice here. But half of my current patients, I have the privilege that I can work with a nurse or social worker on the other side so they can follow up if needed. But with the local practice, when we switch to telepsychology due to COVID-19, I don't have that luxury. So I think it's very important if we do it in that way that we are we try to get a sense of the mental status of a person when we are ending our session. And to talk that through with them to have a plan B in case of an emergency where they needed more help.
0: That's really nicely put. And I'm aware, as you're speaking, of there's just so much to be doing during that type of transition from in-person to telepsychological services. And I'd I'd accentuate from your comments that need for good consultation. And I think that speaks to guideline number one the level of competence that you discussed in APA's guidelines for the practice of telepsychology that, that you mentioned just moments ago. And I, so I think it's essential that we should be using experienced and knowledgeable colleagues to get some of these really important insights to help facilitate, you know, an effective transition to care. I think those ethics consultations through professional liability and seeking guidance through a state board are just are really great examples of how to go about doing that well.
1: Yes, Daniel, I, I agree with you on the importance to emphasize the role of consultation with colleagues. And, you know, that even the fact that people need to give informed consent uh, to, to deliver therapy online. With both of the the practices I'm working with, the the office are handling that part, but the fact is it has to be done because that's part of the requirements. So in both environments, I'm the only psychologist, but I also, it's important for me to to consult with other professionals on our psychiatry team. And um, we often do referrals between professions. And that's what's actually part of the beauty of this is that we may work with the same patient and give the person a a whole patient experience as well and then just focus on one specific part. So yes, that, that role is very important to to consult.
0: Let's quickly shift gears then. I want to paint a scenario for you where a psychologist has taken many of the steps we're talking about here today in providing high quality and that ethically delivered telepsychological service. They've, they've integrated many of the steps like we've discussed. They've, they're using protected tech. They're being mindful of HIPAA compliance, staying within the bounds of their license and, and trying to be cognizant of the guidelines that we've talked about from APA and, and making good consultation with knowledgeable colleagues. When all of those pieces come together, and I'm asking you to pull together a lot of different pieces right now, and that transition that we're talking about is going well, what's that like exactly? What is that, how is that experienced in, in your role when you provide services?
1: You know, uh, I, I think I, I'm gonna use an example from just about a week ago to illustrate this because I think that moment when it all comes together, that's, that's why we are in this, what we're doing. So, you know, we are op- uh, important to focus on the whole person, as I said before, and meeting where they are. And th- this past week I had the, uh, the privilege, I, I know this person from before, she is in a, a, a skilled health uh, facility uh, in her 80s. She's a former music teacher. And if you, if you just focus on her electronic record, there's a long list of medical and mental health diagnoses, including that she has a scar uh, as a result of, of cancer on her face and hair loss. But to me, that is, that is what you need for the, for the record. I I had an incredible experience with her where I was, because I know what she, how much she likes music and I was asking what is her favorite song and and she said Amazing Grace. And then I thought of that video that Andrea Bocelli did at the front of the cathedral in Milan. So I offered to, to play that to her because it's a very short, it's only a few minutes. I was playing that to her and as she was watching I, I could see her eyes because it was close to the camera and I could see them so well. And it was, her eyes were so, so pure and, and so gentle and so much joy allowing me to see deep into her beautiful soul while she was listening for those few minutes. It was like magic to me, actually. And for me at that moment, she was the most beautiful person in the world to me. And this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's it's, it's for code of the moments like this and that, that's engraved in my heart. And that that's just that's my, that when all comes together.
0: Wow, that's certainly that's extraordinarily powerful, Dr. Langley. And I, I really appreciate your sharing that particular example in a way that I think exemplifies the power and the usefulness that health psychological services and provide you know in accordance with with all of the guidelines and principles that we've talked about today it's it's really been a pleasure to first to hear firsthand that if we use resources that our discipline provides us we've talked about like these guidelines consulting using risk management tips and taking time to educate ourselves about the type of technology that we're using and implement, implementing so that's done competently that this transition to an electronic medium of care can be positive for, for both health service psychologists and patients alike. So thanks so much to my guest today, Dr. Renell Langley for joining me, Daniel Elkert, on this episode of The Clinical Consult, which has been brought to you by the National Register of Health Service Psychologists. And for interested listeners, please refer to previous Clinical Consult episodes for continued discussion on some of the do's and don'ts of providing care through telepsychological means. And as always, all episodes of this program provide general information for discussion purposes only, are not to be used for continuing education. For formal recommendations relating to your practice and providing telepsychological services, please consult your State Board of Psychology.